right, good morning, everyone. Uh, I know you're probably thinking, like, what is Manny doing up here? He's not playing bass for worship team. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I'm preaching today on uh, the good news of the Old Testament. Yeah, and I'm so used to be like being in the background with like bass, right? It's like so much of my personality to just kind of be in the background, um, not at the forefront, but you know, I'm just being faithful to what God has called me to do to preach the sermon today. Um, so the, for those who don't know me, my name is Manny Simide, uh, and I've been, uh, I've called Denton North Church home for about four years now. And I just want to say and start with that I'm honored to be speaking to the church today. Uh, this church has been a blessing as I've gone through different life transitions, transitioning from college into being a young professional, transitioning into marriage, uh, and teaching me and supporting me in how to be a disciple of Jesus as my response responsibilities in my life continue to change. And it wasn't until college with Focus and being a part of this community that I was able to really think about my faith more critically and have a deeper, better understanding of the character of God and have a deeper, better relationship with him. And I'm thankful that this church family really takes seriously the call to make and mature disciples. They offer classes to read and to study and to discuss important faith topics to deepen our understanding of God and his story and how we can be a part of that story. So last semester, I took the Old Testament Foundation class, and through that class, I was able to read through the Old Testament, or at least a lot of it, uh, for the first time. Uh, so that means I experienced a lot of those narratives of the Old Testament for the first time. If you've read through Judges before, you'd know just how unsettling and confusing that experience could be. I'd also never read through the books of Kings before. And I was encouraged when I got to the story of Josiah which is where I'll be spending most of my time today. And for some reason, when I thought about it, like the story really stuck out to me and I don't, I don't really remember hearing about Josiah in Sunday schools or VBS growing up. Lost my place. Yeah. Um, so if you've spent some time reading through the Old Testament, uh, this series, I'm sure you've experienced just how difficult and confusing confusing and often dark the text can be sometimes. And we'll see that a little bit too in the story of Josiah. Um, and we'll have elements of that, but the goodness of God is still evident and still encourages us and encourages us in our pursuit of Jesus today. Yeah. So last week, Jam actually talked about idols in his sermon on uh, Abraham and Isaac. In several sermons in this series with Good News in the Old Testament, we've talked about the topic of idolatry. And surprise, that will be again a theme of the story of Josiah today. And to be fair, Israel had been preached at and warned about their idolatry for many, many generations. So don't feel too discouraged about that. I even contemplated shifting directions because we talked about just idolatry last week. Um, but the story of Josiah has been on my heart since February, uh, and I just feel like the, God wants our church to continue thinking through idolatry. So yeah, have you ever had those times whenever you're cleaning out your room or your house in general and you stumble upon something interesting that distracts you from actually doing the cleaning? <laughs> yeah, it happens like all the time. Uh, so like for me, whenever I was a kid, uh, it was like finding that old toy that was lost that I loved, like that I'd completely forgotten about. It was probably some Transformer that like I had because I had a face with Transformers. <laughs> and I like spent that whole hour like trying to figure out how to put it back into like a construction truck. 
or maybe it's as an adult finding like old artifacts that triggers your nostalgia, like an old yearbook or an old journal that you've kept that you've lost. You start spending that time that you're supposed to be cleaning on just reminiscing on the past and remembering. Yeah. And that's kind of essentially what happens in the story of Josiah. He, whenever he's working on the temple repairs and cleaning out the temple, he, instead of finding an old journal filled with some long-lost memories of his youth, he found old scrolls of the Torah with long-lost words of God. Except it's probably way more impactful and life-changing than maybe finding your old journal, but you get the point. So today we'll be in the book of uh, 2 Kings with some references to 2 Chronicles to get the whole story of Josiah, who was a very unique king. In fact, the Bible tells us there is no other king like him that ruled like him. He was a king who, transform, who was transformed by God's words in the Torah and reformed the, king, the kingdom of Judah, at least for a little while. So I'll give a little context before we jump into reading. Uh, at this point of Israel's story, they are in the promised land, and they're ruling through a monarchy. They have kings as their rulers because that's what the people of Israel wanted, despite already having Yahweh, the ruling and creator of all. The monarchy is a model allowed by God, but it was never initiated by God. They've divided into two kingdoms. They have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. They were called from the beginning to look different from the nations around them, to be a nation set apart by God that brings in and blesses the other nations around them. Yet we'll soon see that that's not the case. They've looked just like the nations around them, polytheistic, oppressive, selfish, and sometimes even way more evil than the nations around them. In fact, Josiah's own grandfather, Manasseh, was one of the most evil kings of Judah. It says that his, sin, his list of sins was longest of all the kings of Judah, his own grandfather. He built up altars to other gods inside the temple of God. He bowed down to worship the stars. He sought counsel from mediums and spiritists. He even practiced child sacrifice, killing his own son in the fire for the Canaanite god, Malik. He shed so much innocent blood that it could cover the entirety of Jerusalem. Manasseh was supposed to be a leader for God, but he ultimately led the people of Judah so far from Yahweh. And he did this for 55 years. He ruled for 55 years. So Josiah's own father, Amon, was similarly wicked to Manasseh. Because exactly, he followed in the exact same ways when he restarted his reign at 22 years old. Thankfully, though, he only ruled for a couple of years before being assassinated by his conspirators. So despite this family tragic history that he has, Josiah was righteous and followed in the ways of David and looked way more like his great-grandfather Hezekiah. So let's turn to 2 Kings, starting in chapter 2. And that's where we'll be today, and I'll be reading through the message version. And though we'll be mostly in 2 Kings, I'll be filling in some additional context from 2 Chronicles. So we'll be in 2 Kings 22, 1 through 20. Right, so it says Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He ruled for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah, 
She was a Vosketh. He lived the way God wanted. He kept straight on the path blazed by ancestor David, not one step to the either left or right. One day in the 18th year of his kingship, King Josiah sent the royal secretary Shaphan, son of Azalea, the son of Meshullam, to the temple of God with the in these instructions. Go to Hilkiah the high priest and have him count the money that has been brought to the temple of God that the doormen have collected from the people. Have them turn it over to the foremen who are managing the work on the temple of God so that they can pay the workers who are repairing God's temple, all the carpenters, the construction workers, and the masons. Also authorize them to buy the lumber and dress stone for the temple repairs. You don't need to keep a receipt for the money that you give them. They're all honest men. The high priest Hilkiah reported to Shaphan, the royal secretary, I've just found the book of God's revelation, instructing us in God's ways. I found it in the temple. He gave it to Shaphan, and Shaphan read it. Then Shaphan, the royal secretary, came back to the king, gave him an account of what had gone on. Your servants have bagged up the money that had been collected for the temple. They've given it to the foreman to pay the temple workers. Then Shaphan, the royal secretary, told the king, Hekiah the priest gave me a book, and Shaphan proceeded to read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in this book, God's revelation, he ripped his robes in dismay. And then he called for Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbar, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the royal secretary, and Isaiah, the king's personal aide. He ordered them all, go and pray to God for me, for this people, for all of Judah. Find out what we must do in response to what is written in that book that has just been found. God's anger must be burning fiercely against us. Our ancestors haven't obeyed a thing written in this book and followed none of the instructions directed for us. Hilkiah the priest, Achim, Akbar, Shaphan, Tholbert, went straight to Olda the prophetess. She, went, she was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, the son of Haras, who was in charge of the palace wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. The five men consulted with her, and in response to them, she said, God's word, the God of Israel, Tell the, man, uh, tell the man who sent you here that I'm on my way to bring the doom of judgment on this place and this people. Every word written in this book, read by the king of Judah, will happen. And why? Because they've deserted me and taken up other gods, made me thoroughly angry by setting up their God-making businesses. My anger is raging wide hot against this place, and nobody's going to put it up. And also tell the king of Judah, since he sent you to ask God for direction, tell him this. God's comment on what he read in the book, because you took seriously the doom of judgment I spoke on this place in people, and because you responded in humble repentance, tearing your robe in dismay and weeping before me, I'm taking you seriously. God's word, I'll take care of you. You'll have a quiet death, be buried in peace. You won't be around to see the doom I'm going to bring on this place. And then the men took the message back to the king. So now that was a lot, but my first point that we'll be spending time on is that God is faithful to those who seek him. God is faithful to those who seek him. As we saw, Josiah was only eight years old whenever he became king. 
When he was about 16 years old, he started following in the ways of David, seeking after Yahweh. You see this in 2 Chronicles. It describes Josiah as doing right in the Lord's sight and walking in all the ways of David. He didn't follow in the immoral footsteps of his father Amon and his grandfather Manasseh, the two evil kings before him. And by the grace of God, that wickedness wasn't an inherited trait to him. And we see early on in this passage the true character of Josiah. Look at the way that Josiah treated the temple by repairing it and cleaning it instead of neglecting God's dwelling place. It's in need of repair because the kings before Josiah have neglected to maintain it and fix the damage caused by invaders. Look at the way that Josiah paid the workers fairly and trusting them, not even needing a receipt. Notice the respect that this king had for the working class. Josiah treated them with honor and dignity. He didn't exploit them and oppress them for economic gains like the kings had done before him. And look at the way that Josiah respects the counselors and advisors around him. He's unlike many of the kings before him who ignored the wisdom and ultimately disregarded their words from God. Words of warning and calling back to turn from their evil ways. So while working through the temple repairs and cleaning up the temple, the high priest Hilkiah somehow found this copy of the Torah in that temple. And should we be surprised that it was lost? We know that the temple was littered with altars and idols that didn't belong there. I'm not surprised that it was lost. Some were hidden behind all of those idols. And I kind of find it funny that the high priest Hilkiah reported this to Shaphan. And when Shaphan is like, Hilkiah is so excited, right? And then Shaphan, whenever he's giving the report back to King Josiah, like lists out all the updates about uh, the money and the temple repairs and how things are going. And he's like, oh, and Hilkiah found some book uh, while they're cleaning out the temple. Like, do you want me to read that for you? Hilkiah clearly understood the significance of this discovery, but Shaphan had no idea just how crucial it was. He even read it before he gave the report. And in this act of caring for the temple, Yahweh reveals to Josiah himself through this lost book of the Torah. Josiah essentially discovers what we now call the book of Deuteronomy, the final section of the Torah. And the significance of this discovery cannot be understated. The Torah has speeches of Moses telling the generations of Israelites that, that are about to enter the promised land to remain faithful to the covenant that they have with God. This is the promised land that Josiah is now ruling over many, many generations later. The Torah contains collections of laws that describe the terms of this covenant between God and Israel. And Josiah comes face to face with all the ways that just that Israel has broken the law. The Torah uh, says that if they listen and obey God, that they will be blessed and that they will have life. The Torah also warns of judgment and curses that come if Israel breaks this covenant they made with God. Josiah is starting to see the writing on the wall of what's about to come. Josiah sees himself and his nation on the wrong side of God's story and out of favor with Yahweh. He has no idea what to do next, except to turn to God. He calls his team to go and to pray for him in behalf of all of Judah, to know what to do in response to the reading of this book. And notice how Josiah reacts to reading of the Torah. Remember, we started off talking about how Josiah was considered a righteous man. We even see that with how he acted with the temple and his people. But why would a righteous man rip his robes in dismay? 
Josiah didn't respond to God's impending judgment with, wait, 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 like, what about me, God? Like, I've been a good king. I walked in the ways of my ancestor David. Remember him? We liked him, right? Uh, I treat my people well and I rule well. Shouldn't I be spared? Didn't I do good enough? Right. He realizes, he realizes that his righteousness is pathetic in comparison to the goodness of Yahweh. That even though he did what was right by God, considered right by God, he learned more about the covenant of between God and his people. He learned that God cared for more than just Josiah's individual morality and his behavior, yeah. but that God has expectations of what that relationship with his people looks like. Yeah, so church, we should not let our perceived righteousness keep us from seeing the goodness of following God and an opportunity for a right relationship with him. Even those who seem or claim to be righteous are in need of humble repentance, like Josiah. So how does God then respond to King Josiah? First off, God hears him, and God speaks to him through Huldah, the prophetess, but still. Uh, And this is important because these idols that they've been worshiping do not hear nor speak, not in the same way that Yahweh does. God tells him that the judgment that he read in the Torah is still coming because they've deserted him. Yahweh spares Josiah from his judgment because of his humble repentance. God knows and sees the sincerity of Josiah. He sees that his heart is for God. And he promises that he'll take care of Josiah and give him peace. This judgment will come during his lifetime. And God does the same for us. He hears us and he recognizes our repentance when we humbly approach him. He is patient with us. He is merciful to us. And he wants to give us peace and blessing and favor with him. Again, God is faithful to those who seek him. So let's go on to the next section in uh, 2 Kings 23. Again, we'll be in the message version. And we should just be 1 through... Actually, 11, so we'll stop at 11. Um, So yeah, if you turn with me, I'll be in the message version. It says, The king acted immediately, assembling all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king proceeded to the temple of God, bringing everyone in his train, priests and prophets and people ranging from the famous to the unknown. Then he read out publicly everything written in the book of the covenant that was found in the temple of God. The king stood by the pillar and before God solemnly solemnly committed them all to the covenant to follow God believingly and obediently to follow his instructions, heart and soul, on what to believe and do, to put into practice the entire covenant, all that was written in this book. The people stood in affirmation. Their commitment was unanimous. Then the king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the associate priest, the temple centuries to clean the house, to get rid of everything in the temple of God that had been made for worshiping Baal, Asherah, and the cosmic powers. He had them burned outside of Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron, and then disposed of the ashes in Bethel. He fired the pagan priests whom the kings of Judah had hired to supervise the local sects and religion shrines in the towns of Judah and neighborhoods of Jerusalem. In a stroke, he swept the country clean of polluting the, st- of the polluting stench of round-the-clock worship of Baal, sun and moon, stars, and all the so-called cosmic powers. He took the obscene phallic Asher pole 
from the temple of God to the valley of Kidron outside of Jerusalem, burned it up, and then ground the ashes and scattered them in the cemetery. He tore out the rooms of the male, tore out the rooms of the male sacred prostitutes that had been set up in the temple of God. Women also used these rooms for weavings of Asherah. He swept the outlying towns of Judah clean of priests and smashed the sects and religion shrines where they worked for, uh, they worked their trade from one end of the country to the other, all the way from Geba to Beersheba. He smashed the sects and religion shrine that had been set up just to the left of the city gate for the private use of Joshua, the city mayor. Even though these sects and religion priests did not defile the altar in the temple itself, they were part of the general priestly corruption had to go. Then Josiah demolished the, uh, demolished the Topheth, the iron furnace cradle set up in the valley of Ben-Hemon uh, for sacrificing children in the fire. No longer could anyone burn a son or daughter to the god of Moloch. He hauled off the horse statues honoring the sun, sun god and the kings of Judah that had, had set up near the entrance of the temple. They were in the courtyard next to the office of Nathan Melech, the warden. He burned up the sun chariots and so much rubbish. We'll just stop there. It does continue with more uh, smashing and destroying of idols, and you probably get the point by now. Um, but this leads me to my final point, that God cares deeply about his temple. God cares deeply about his temple. We see that Josiah responded and acted immediately to this response reading of the Torah. Josiah experienced an inward transformation by the word of God that drove his outward reformation. But it's not just Josiah. All of Judah joins in on this covenant renewal with God. And after a recommitment to following Yahweh, changes had to be made. The kingdom of Judah and its temples are in dire need of reformation to be a rightful dwelling place of God. And I think it's only fair that our holy creator of the universe has some expectations for the place that he dwells in. And how did the temples even get to this point? These idols didn't just appear overnight. It's a result of generations and generations of disobedience and disregard of Yahweh. Progressively getting worse and worse and worse. Josiah's destruction of the idols was justified and fully in line with God's law. This is an act of obedience and faithful response to the instruction of the Torah. And I want to make an important note here that, uh, about Josiah's reformation across the nation of Judah. This is not a call to any form of like modern Christian nationalism or any kind of human utopia that we want to build up in our own image. I'll refrain from getting way too political on this, but it's a misuse and under, misunderstanding of scripture to try to apply the story of Josiah onto any modern context. The book of Kings says the world would never see a king like Josiah again, so don't bother to try to make that happen. <laughs> Do not confuse this as an opportunity to look outward to judge the culture around you, but rather see this as an opportunity to look inward to yourself and our own church. I ask that you examine what you can control in your life, mm. the way you do spend your time and with whom, how you spend your money and on what, and what you value and by how much. Mm. If you're unsure how to deal with idols in our modern culture, I encourage you to go and read how Paul talks about idolatry to the early churches. Mm -hmm. 
Ultimately, Israel fails again in their mission to be a light to all the nations around them. Instead, they look just like the ones around them. Polytheistic, oppressive, selfish, evil, and far from God. So let's consider some of the idols that were destroyed by Josiah. We see Asha, a sex idol that was used for seeking blessings of fertility and reproduction. But our God is a God who promised Abraham offspring that would outnumber the stars when his wife was of old age. We also see idols of stars, of sun and moon and cosmos, people worshiping the natural world that appears to govern the life around them. But our God is a creator of all things and rules over this natural world. He delivered ancient Israel out of Egyptian slavery by plagues, through parted seas, and nursed them with manna from heaven in the desert. And let's look at this child sacrifice to the idol of Moloch. People sacrificed their children to have favor with this idol God for blessing and prosperity. This is downright evil and completely antithetical to Yahweh. A God who made a covenant with his people to bless them with life through generations of children. We see this contrast in the story of Abraham when he's about to offer his son Isaac. God stops him and shows shows us that he's not that kind of God that these Canaanites worship. And I see these idols falling, or idols in general, falling to one or multiple of these three categories. Power, providence, and or pleasure. Power, providence, pleasure. And when we attribute these things, power, providence, and pleasure, to the idols that we create or follow, what credit is there left to give God? When we do this, we often do this in our own lives. We give the credit to our, of our success, our sustenance, our relationships, all good things and all good times, anything other than God. Yeah. And when we strip those things from God, what do we have left to attribute to him? Right. Is that a God worth worshiping? I don't think so. He is Lord of all and all good things come from him. Yeah. So idols are at their very least are hollow and useless. And at their very worst, deceive us and destroy us. Mm-hmm. They can lead its worshipers into believing lies about themselves, about others, and leading them down paths straying from God, usually leading to sin and death. And a helpful thing I've heard from Tim Mackey say about idols is that our God shimas, which means like listen and to love. And he asked us to shima, to listen and to love him. And those other idols, those other gods, they don't shema. They don't listen to you and love you like Yahweh does. And God has changed how he relates to us and deals with us today. For Josiah in ancient Israel, it was through the temple and the rituals. But Jesus changed the dynamic and now we're the temple of God, individually and collectively. Again, God cares deeply about his temple. That means he cares deeply for you each and every one of you. And he cares for this church body. And he even cares for the capital C church. He doesn't want to compete for your attention or affection. As Jam mentioned last week, that God wants us and he wants us to want him. So let God tend to you like a temple. Let him tend to your heart like a garden. 
But that may not look pleasant at first, as we see in the story of Josiah. Lots of destruction. Um, and all of our gar- gardens may look different and be in completely different states right now. Right. Maybe we've never let God in, or it's been a while. And now it's okay. Making things right might require death to things that have taken root, deep root, yeah. possibly for generations. So I grew up like hating pulling weeds. Like that was like absolutely the worst chore that you could ask me to do. <laughs> like especially growing up in Florida, like the sun and the humidity, like absolutely not. Um, I would do anything to get out of that. Like that was hard work. But you get those weeds that are so deeply rooted that when you pull them, it just like breaks above the surface, right? So you have to like dig into the ground for the roots that are left to really completely uproot it. Otherwise it'll just grow back. Mm. God wants to uproot and put to death the things in our lives that eventually lead to our own misery, our own death. He wants to replace it with something way, way better than you could imagine. A beautiful, fruitful, life-giving garden. But only if you let him. And it might be hard and painful at times, but Jesus is so worth it. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Yeah. And removing these weeds help us clearly see God's goodness from the things that don't belong there. Like weeds, idolatry can sprout up in our lives if we don't work to uproot them and spot them and get them at their deepest roots. And with the help of the Spirit, we can maintain our temples like gardens and watch for these idols sprouting up among the flowers and let it be a dwelling place for our God. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Again, God cares deeply about his temple. So kind of moving into the conclusion of this, we know that the story of Israel goes on after Josiah. Um, After all the hard work to clean the temples and reform Judah, Josiah celebrates this moment with the Passover. It's really nice how that timeline worked out. Um, But it says that no Passover had been celebrated like this for 400 years since the days of the judges. It was a huge celebration for what God had done. Josiah lives a life of peace, as God promised, until his final days. Though his death was a little interesting, like if you're curious about that, you should look into that. Um, But you can read that on your own as your homework. Um, His 23-year-old son, Jehoaz, succeeded him as king. And in just three months after succeeding him, he reverted back to to the old ways and followed the wicked ways of his ancestors. It didn't matter because God's promised judgment soon came after. Israel was about to pay for the prolonged disobedience to God and their wicked ways. Both kingdoms were exiled out of the land that God promised them, overtaken by their rivals, Assyria and Babylon. They were in this state of exile until God came back through Jesus to offer all the nations, us, not just Israel, a way to experience life to the full in our eventual promised land by putting our faith in Jesus, loving God, and loving our neighbors. And despite the bad news and the eventual and expected exile of Israel, 
The story of Josiah shows us the hope of God. It reveals God's good character and how much he really loves us. Again, God is faithful to those who seek him, and he cares deeply about his temple. So questions for the church. Really just have one main question, and some that kind of stem from it, but has God's word become lost behind the idols you've stored in your heart? Has God's word become lost behind the idols you've stored in your heart? Do the words of Jesus still reform your inner being, or have they gone stale? Are you letting idols drown out that powerful, yet quiet and calm voice of the Spirit within you? Are you trying to fit Jesus into your life, but it's hard because it's crowded and full of idols that you're pretty reluctant to get rid of? Consider how your idols are interfering with your daily experience of God, and consider how your individual idolatry might be impacting those around you. So I want to close with this passage that I think is so relevant uh, from Paul in Colossians. I don't have it up there, but I'll be in Colossians 3, 1 through 17, if you want to turn there. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. It says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these ways when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If any of you has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord is forgiving you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns, in all wisdom, teaching. Oh, I missed my spot. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Mm-hmm. So let's pray. God, you are so amazing and good to us. Yeah. You are good to Israel, and you're good to us now. 
Thank you for being committed to us, committed to loving us so deeply, even though we really don't deserve it. You're a caring father and a faithful friend. Thank you for showing us that you are a promise keeper. You're faithful to us and show us your mercy. God, we ask that you show us as a church what idols we have in our hearts. Help guide us by your spirit to be temples that are holy and pleasing to you. We long for you, Jesus. We look forward to your return. And until then, help us see the opportunities to bring your good kingdom here now. Help us be part of your mission, God, to make all things new, starting with our own hearts and minds. Pray that as a church, we can be a church that loves you well and loves people well. Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Hello, hello, hello. Is this thing on? <laughs> yeah, so the past two sermons, including the one we just listened to, have really brought this thing to my mind that I can't uh, keep not sharing it. <laughs> um, it's a short passage from a book called Reflections on the Psalms by C.S. Lewis. Um, and yeah, so it can be kind of confusing, like, why is God so mad about idolatry? And I think many sermon really got it was how like unspeakably ugly and dehumanizing idolatry is right, yeah. and the idols that we face are no different yeah. um, and that's kind of what C.S. Lewis is talking about here there's this theme in the Psalms where they're just like God your law is so beautiful it's so amazing it's sweeter than honey and all this stuff I mean, it can be kind of like I don't know it's a little bit boring and tedious if you ask me it's kind of how we can feel about it sometimes um, so I just wanted to share what Lewis said about that um, Yahweh's laws have in it that's like the Hebrew word truth Intrinsic validity, rock-bottom reality, being rooted in his own nature, and his laws are therefore as solid as that nature which he has created. But the psalmists themselves can say it best. In Psalm 36, 6, it says, Thy righteousness standeth like the strong mountains, thy judgments are like the great deep. Their delight in the law is a delight in having touched firmness, like the pedestrian's delight in feeling the hard road beneath his feet after a false shortcut has long entangled him in muddy fields. For there were other roads which lacked this truth. The Jews had as their immediate neighbors, close to them in race as well as position, pagans of the worst kind, pagans whose religion was marked by none of that beauty and sometimes wisdom that we can find among the Greeks. That background made the beauty or sweetness of the law more visible not least because these neighboring paganisms were a constant temptation to the Jew and may in some of their externals have not been unlike his own religion. The temptation to turn to those terrible rites in times of terror when, for example, the Assyrians were pressing on. We who not so long ago waited daily for invasion by enemies like the Assyrians, skilled and constant in systematic cruelty, know how they may have felt. He's talking about, you know, slightly post-World War II in the UK, or Britain or whatever. Um, they were tempted, since the Lord seemed dead, to try those appalling deities who demanded so much more and might therefore perhaps give more in return. But when a Jew in some happier hour, or even a better Jew in that hour, looked at those worships, when he thought of the sacred prostitution and sacred sodomy, the babies thrown into the fire from Allah, 
His own law must have turned, when he turned back to it, must have shown with an extraordinary radiance, sweeter than honey. Or if that metaphor does not suit us, who don't have such a sweet tooth as all ancient people, probably because we've got plenty of sugar. It's funny to Yeah, so if we don't like the sweet and sweeter than honey metaphor, let's say, like mountain water, like fresh air after a dungeon, like sanity after a nightmare. So I just want to share that. Thanks. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Manny. That was amazing. Let's hand to Manny. Hard stories to, to, to tackle. And Manny nailed all those names. I mean, like, name after name after name. And you were just rushing it. So thanks for doing that. That was great. Um, we have a few announcements of ways to be involved in our community. We do not want you to miss a little bit more this week. So keep your attention and don't miss this stuff. The first thing is summer small groups that will start June 6th. So if you are a student and you're hanging here for the summer, we'd love you to join us. This is one of our favorite things about summer is we get students who are here for the summer and normally they're running core or a small group of their own during the year. We'd love y'all to join our small group for the summer. So you can sign up with the link behind me. Or if you're someone who's not a student but you just weren't in a small group this past year for whatever reason, we'd love you to join as well. It's a great time to do that. And we'll be studying a new thing together this summer. And so you'll be able to hop right in with a new chapter for our small groups. So don't miss that. Um, the next thing is the men's breakfast is in this next Saturday, which is never from all right. Yeah, that's one of the requirements. You have to hoot and holler like dive in an animal like that. That's what we do. That's what we do. Um, it'll be at North Lakes, weather permitting, so keep an eye out. If we get closer to the day, it looks like it might be raining, we'll change the location. But weather's been really great, and so we thought we'd take a chance to enjoy that together. We'll have food. If you're a dude, please come. And we'll get to have a little devotional and then just hang out together. So it'll be great. Um, and also that early in the morning will probably be nice. I bet it'll be great. The next thing is today is one of the ministry workshops for our family churches down in Carrollton. And this one is from 2 to 5. It's about personalities, communication, style, flexing, etc. Things that matter in ministry, in our workplaces, in our families. All that kind of stuff. Skills like that that really matter in being God's people and navigating different situations. And so that'll be really interesting. Uh, you can get more information at dfwleadershipdevelopment.org or the link behind me. Uh, the next thing is you've got several baby showers coming up. Yeah. The first one is Adrienne's is on May 27th. So that's the next weekend from 2, or I don't know the 10th time, it starts at 2. And it's at 2200 Laurel Street with the Bristow's house, if you've been there before. It's co-ed. And then also Reagan Smith's is on June 11th at 1230. Uh, also at the Bristow's House, 2200 Lowell Street, also co-ed, um, and so put this on your calendar. Let's we can celebrate uh, together and new life and all that stuff. It's going to be fun. So um, then we've got the marriage conference coming up on June 4th, and it's not too late to say you're interested in going. Uh, we can make some changes and do some other things, but we've already got a lot of people interested. But one of the things that, that happens a lot in our community is that um, people do this last minute sort of deal. And so like the week leading up to the event, like things double in number, like suddenly people decide, yeah, nothing better came along, you know, no cool movies were coming out that weekend or whatever. So I'll go, I'll go to the marriage conference. This is for, if you're married, thinking about being married, curious about marriage, uh, don't want to get married, but might want to come anyway, just come. If you're interested, you can come. No pre-reps. Uh, the next thing is that our sound team, our faithful sound team, who we love. They are in need of some more volunteers. One, some of their folks are gone for the summer, 
and also you just have they're always a little bit bare bones and working like dogs just trying to do stuff and not quite have as many hands as they would like and would need so we'd love for you to serve in the sound team and help the, those folks out you can talk to hannah right over here if you're interested and we you don't have to have prior knowledge so we can teach you how to do it we have a pretty simple setup here and we are not audio engineers, scientists, nerds, or anything like that. We just want to be able to provide a way to hear each other, work together, that kind of stuff. So we'd yeah. love to help you learn how to do that and you can serve our troops in that way. Ready for garage sale? Okay. Cool announcement from Gloria Sevens. All right. Okay. Yeah. So on June 3rd from 9.30 to 12.30, PM, um, Ryan has very graciously offered up his front yard for us to bring our stuff. So like we're spring cleaning or just have a bunch of extra clothes like I do sitting in the corner of my living room. Um, you can bring it here and we'll be selling it to each other. There'll be like signs so people in our community can help and then the proceeds can go to the Metro Audio Ministry Air Conditioning Fundraiser. Yeah, and so I just thought it'd be a cool way to get together and sell our stuff to each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That'll be fun. Yeah, it's fun. Just, even if you don't have stuff, you can just go sit and, or you can listen to be a customer. So when people are like driving by, you're like, oh, shoot, I got to over here. Yeah. yeah, it's Hobson over there. Um, but like I said, we have these, our shirts. So if you ordered a shirt and you have not picked it up yet, Sean will be in the back at the table with the shirts after church and you can go pick your, there's Sean right there. You go pick your shirt up. If you missed the chance to order one and you really wanted one, you can see what stock is still available on our website. If you go to debtnowchurch.com, I think it's just a slash shirts or shirt or like that. Uh, in the drop down, you'll see what's available. We haven't updated. So if you we ordered just a handful of extras in case somebody missed it. And so you could go see if your size is available. And if it is, place your order right then and then immediately pick it up. It's like faster than Amazon. You know, we've got like five minutes shipping. So pretty cool. The next thing is giving. If you want to give a one-time donation or a recurring gift, you can do that at deadnorthchurch.com slash donate, or you can do that on Venmo at Deadnorth Church. This goes immediately to pouring back into you guys, making maturing disciples, growing you guys spiritually is our biggest priority. But we also have a really heart, a heart for beating needs in our community, yeah. as well as our city and our community, great, our great community around us in Den as well as just the needs of the, the kingdom of God going forward. And so we are a church planting family of churches. And so those are our priorities in terms of giving. Um, one last thing I just thought about, you've been congratulating um, graduates and people wrapping stuff up. Teachers in non-college stuff, so everything under the next, are still finishing their years. So you've got these teachers, keep going. We've got a number of teachers here, we want to encourage you. And, I heard this week that one of our teachers got voted favorite teacher wow. by the students. Yes. That's Mr. Adam right here. Anyway. So we're proud. That's a victory for all of us, you know. <laughs> um, I'm going to say a short prayer and then we can clean up and get our shirts and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. If you want coffee, remember to bring your own mug. If you're going to use a dispensable one, that's really just for people who are coming that don't come here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw a few of us using them. No big deal. Yeah. We'll get on it. Yeah. I didn't get a mug. Maybe bring a mug for a friend just in case. We just don't have anywhere to store mugs right now. Yeah. So. Do your best to remember. Yeah, good reminder. Yeah, we had the mugs last time. There are lots of haul here every time and stuff like that. And so we were like, most of us have a thermos of some kind. 
And then for guests and stuff like that, we've got the disposable ones, but thanks for the reminder. Yeah. I'm gonna say short prayer. Um, Lord, thank you for just how good you are. Thank you for the stories of what you've done uh, to your people. And thank you for speaking through Manny. Thank you for what you've got his heart um, and just the way that you've helped him understand uh, your Old Testament, that he's helped us understand it today. And um, so I just pray you'd help what we've learned um, to really go deep in our hearts. It'd be something we think about. Idolatry is not this ancient old thing, but something that we're always looking for something else to put our hope in, something we think we might control, something we think that might uh, give us a better deal or whatever. Um, and we are many things trying to offer us everything. And Lord, you are the only one that's good, and you offer life and love. You offer to listen. You want this kind of relationship with us and help us just to choose you over idolatry. Um, Lord, you're so good to us. Uh, God, bless these people. Keep us. I just pray that your face would shine upon us and give us peace. Okay. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.